decided to do a little experiment, which is basically a nighttime conversations. Well, uh, with myself um, for the time being. And uh, just a little introduction. I am a biomedical researcher by training. And uh, I have a lot of thoughts about how our world works. And uh, obviously, I'm also a human being. I have emotions, feelings, and opinions about how things in this world work or should work. So I will start by really talking about some of the things that I think are interesting and that we should pay attention to in this world. So without further ado, I introduce to you Nighttime Scientific Monologue, Episode 1. Let's start uh, just with a tiny bit more introduction. My name is Pavel. It's a pleasure to uh, be uh, a part of this community of people doing podcasts. I think it's going to be fun and hopefully interesting to you. So it's no secret that today, which is the 3rd of July of 2020, we see a massive surge of COVID-19 cases around around the United States and uh, around the world too. And naturally, as a biomedical researcher, it's uh, very concerning on so many different levels. Well, I suppose this. It's concerning to me as a human being and really fascinating as a biomedical researcher. While I'm not a trained virologist, I, or epidemiologist for that matter, and therefore I have very little a practical knowledge of um, of coronavirus. I do understand, very broadly speaking, the pathology of the disease that people are struggling with, which is COVID-19, and the spread of the virus, and some of the things that have been in the news lately in terms of the vaccine development, uh, tests to detect the antibodies against coronavirus infection or the infection itself. So it has been a very fascinating six months um, as a researcher to see the development of this, not just the, the vaccines, not just the treatment options, but the development of a new mentality within scientific and medical community where all animosity by and large is abandoned in favor of um, one unified goal which is to put an end to this pandemic and uh, this is something that I don't think uh, people really understand as much if they're not scientists they don't really appreciate just how much scientists are working around the clock to understand how this disease works and how we can address it uh, from the treatment perspective from just purely you know scientific perspective because there's so many questions about the virus that are not yet addressed and this is where the confusion comes from right this is where um, a lot of misunderstanding and um, 
you may even call it fake news comes from, right? Because think about this. Everything that we know about coronavirus infection that we experienced in 2020 comes to us from some type of scientific paper, by and large, because and that just gets reported to us via news outlets and the way I like to think of it it's like a broken telephone a scientific paper say by scientists in China reports certain things about inflammation that has to do with like this uh, disease right we have like acute lung inflammation and uh, then this type of news which, I mean, it is news, right, since it has been uh, discovered and it is now in a preprint, which is not yet reviewed by scientific community. Now it gets turned by a news outlet into saying um, something like coronavirus causes lung inflammation. That's the story number one. Story number two that covers this story by another news outlet, it might say deadly lung inflammation by coronavirus a third story that might cover that it could be uh, death uh, from um, I don't know something like um, slow death in your lungs as a result of COVID-19 right so basically that just and this is a Believe me, I think this is a benign example of this broken telephone thing that we experience over the past many months, right? There is also news and uh, news topics that get twisted in terms of their meaning, in terms of their significance. And what reaches general public is typically not what was published or what's worse what reaches the public is actually not what's published at all because again most of the people don't realize it takes time for scientific knowledge to be to be validated it's not just enough to generate a piece of data and then publish it online and call it done because you need to have a validation from the scientific community from your peers that actually looks at the data looks looks not only at the data but also at how it was collected how it was analyzed and looks at the interpretation of the data because one of the things that is very um, striking to me as a scientist is the fact that the interpretation of certain results uh, that have to do with coronavirus infection is blown out of proportion uh, not just by the news outlets but also by certain scientists it's a very big problem sorry i had a i had to take a quick call so where was i broken telephone um, yeah, broken telephone is a big, big problem, right? Where scientists, again, blow certain results out of proportion because they take advantage of the fact that the research that gets published 
by um, by by them when it comes to COVID actually does not undergo uh, as strict of a review early on because there is such a hunger for knowledge on the subject matter, of course. So that's one big aspect of um, you know of what we're dealing with as scientists and what we're dealing with as everybody as, as humanity when it comes to understanding of how COVID-19 works is this challenge of uh, misinterpretation over exaggeration and uh, broken telephone phenomenon that I think is unfortunately very prevalent now this is where um, the, the problem of um, or rather this is what gives rise to misinformation and confusion more importantly the confusion part is arguably much much worse than just misinformation because basically there is no consensus about what to do how to treat people um, or rather treating people is somewhat less obscure now with recent results um, and uh, recent advances uh, by diff different companies in performing clinical trials but the confusion making source of confusion has to do with social distancing policies face masks and coverings and things of that nature and lockdowns right those three things are the most controversial um, if you look at online media and as a scientist you have to sort of first I guess respect the institution of science and uh, be on the same page with other scientists who say that these things are important but at the same time, you are. Well, I think it's also important to understand that as a scientist, your job is not to take things at face value. And I think it's the job of any human being, really, is not to take things at face value, but actually find your own information. And I think that's crucial. Because if you stop caring where the information comes from, I mean you just playing ignorant to what is going on and you're not really putting an effort into understanding of you know why things are the way they are um, and in terms of these controversial issues unfortunately the science has not yet been presented in a way that would be um, uncontroversial what I mean by that is the subject matter is still evolving and there is still much that we don't understand about how this virus spreads and therefore when the science is still a bit shaky obviously this would give rise to uncertainty but the more important problem that I think is also worth addressing at this point is even though there is now more consensus about social distancing 
face masks, lockdowns, and I would be the first one to say there's still some uncertainty there. But let's just say, for the sake of the argument, it's not as as controversial as it was before. The biggest problem is the lack of translation of that knowledge, scientific knowledge, and advice to general public by the authorities, by the uh, government. And that's a huge, huge part of the government is to use scientific knowledge to educate the public about the dangers and about misinformation that is out there. Because make no mistake, there's people who want to take advantage of selling you a useless face mask that's supposed to protect you 100%. There's no such mask, first of all. Or whatever, at least whatever they're selling you would not protect you 100%. Or conversely, people who advocate for no masks or people who say that lockdowns are utterly, utterly useless. Well, all those people have agendas. And the lack of explanation and clear message from the government that, that has to do this, that's what adds to the source of confusion and adds to this chaos that we find ourselves in. And that's very depressing to see. Because... As a trained scientist, you want to educate people, but but that's not just the job for a scientist. Because scientists, in eyes of the public, for better or worse, lack some of that authority that we expect from the government, because it's his job to be authoritative in terms of educating people and promoting certain public health um, things and awareness about what needs to be done at this point at some point in the future and so on so those are the issues but now let's talk i think about some of the positives or rather some of the more interesting parts about this pandemic that i think are also worth touching on again being a scientist i'm fascinated with uh, not just the science part of it all but also with technology and how the technology really comes into play uh, in terms of addressing some of the issues with COVID-19 or that COVID-19 raises up. Um, One of the things I watched today was actually uh, 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 an episode of, I think, CNBC. And that issue was covered on other channels, YouTube channels too. It has to do with air travel. And what was fascinating to me is obviously learning just the, 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 the sheer impact that COVID-19 had on the airline industry. I mean, naturally, so it's, there's, it's not a secret. But I think what was interesting to me was the types of measures that these airline companies, um, uh, I guess companies that uh, actually own the, um, the airports are taking to address the safety concerns that people naturally have. And um, these are touchless systems for check-ins and, and uh, I guess, um, security uh, systems that include uh, temperature controls, potentially including uh, tests for COVID to be 
a routine part of the security check before you get on board. Potential uh, seat reductions and uh, reduced capacity on airplanes, as well as different types of um, uh, measures in terms of food packaging that is on board the airplanes. So there was a lot of different things that this uh, video goes into and um, it's this is just but one example where I think it's um, quite fascinating just how much our world would need need to adapt uh, to this I hate the word new normal I, I just I just hate it but just let's just say to the world post COVID-19 world where a lot of the things that I would say, at least I would consider more science fiction-y at this point, which is like touchless interface um, in in the airport. I mean, it was a com- it was a it was not like a novelty uh, before, but I think it would be a commonplace now or going into the future. Same thing that may be said about. Um, I mean, this is just example in the airline industry, but I think contactless payments uh, would be a mainstream type of uh, purchasing option in the stores. Uh, where, for example, uh, I've seen some of the really crazy concepts in, ter- in terms of buying groceries, which would be you not even leaving your car. It's like a, think of it like a drive-thru, like a big, big drive-thru and uh, you're just driving through uh, what's essentially like a warehouse. That was a really cool video on Facebook that I've seen a couple of months ago, where I think you just like select uh, items you want to purchase and uh, they just get like automatically delivered to your car and then you just drive away or something like that without any cashiers or anything like that. So it's just the amount of innovation that we will see as a result of, of this situation that we find ourselves in, not just on the technology side, of course, but also on the research side, on the personal side, on the human side of how we interact with one another. All of that is going to be extremely fascinating to, to see and be a part of. I mean, uh, just the amount of collaboration that we see across many interest industries, maybe bringing it back a little bit to the uh, scientific or biomedical uh, fields. One of the interesting things that I found was that telehealth companies are seeing a massive splurge in adoption rates, right? And naturally so, obviously you can't really go to a doctor or rather you probably don't want to. At this point, so imagine uh, just having a doctor on the screen of your tablet or a computer, right? So that's the only way to interact with physicians now in a safe environment. Along the same lines, one of the things that is also going to be a big push forward is some type of physical examination or diagnostics that are going to be more primarily in-house 
where you could just order some kind of test kit, much like what people are developing for testing COVID at home, right? These kinds of test kits for for various other types of diseases or indications were slowly getting some traction uh, over the last few years. And I can only imagine how much more these companies would grow over over this year and years to come because the whole paradigm of interaction with the healthcare between a patient and the healthcare system would change most likely and I think it already did it's just now we're in this crisis mode where we have to interact with um, people virtually but when we emerge on the other side of it, if there is such thing as the other side, it's already going to be like that. People would adapt. People are very pliable when it comes to big, big crises that take, I guess, this many months, if, if not double that or triple that, to overcome. I think I... I would say this about myself. I think there's a lot of things that I found that I can't imagine going back to. Case in point, and uh, and say going to Starbucks. I think to me, before going to Starbucks was maybe like once a week kind of thing, maybe once every two weeks. Now I reckon it's going to be like once a month once a month and a half or once at two months, right? I don't see a need anymore to, to do that. More dramatically, maybe going out, I just don't want to go out, period. I'd like to, I really do, but I, I don't feel like I want to go back to eating out once a week. I'll probably make it a big occasion, a big deal. I want to have a nice experience where I don't need to fear for my safety, so to speak, right? So that means it's going to be reflecting uh, in my choice of the venue where I want to go and the frequency and the price that I'm willing to pay um, for that versus saving money and cooking my own food. These things are not just examples of an individual changing his habits these are examples of a much bigger and more profound shift that we're going to see in many aspects of our lives and um, I guess being constantly curious about things like that um, is going to be very very interesting to keep an eye out um, I mean, one of the things as a scientist I really, really like to do is just be curious and just learn more things. So, um, reading up on these news, when it comes to not the, let's say, the bad of COVID-19, but, and not, I'm not meaning like all the innovations that are going to come are going to be good. Probably most of them would, would be. But the point of the innovations is just, it's time for a change. And whether you agree with the change, ready for a change, or willing to you know, accept it or be a part of it, is irrelevant. What matters is the change is going to happen whether you want it or not. So 
learning about the types of shifts, big tectonic monumental shifts that we're going to see in our society and that we are starting to see now already, this is one of the most fascinating times as a human being to reflect on what the world is going to look like. This is something that we dreamt of when we watched any post-apocalyptic movie to some extent, or futuristic movie for that matter, science fiction movie. We are creating a world that is filled, that is going to be filled with our dreams, with our dreads, with uh, everything that we used to think of as a not too distant future. I think that's the most exciting part of this time is that we are crafting with each, each and every single day this not too distant future now. This is going to be the most profound change that I think humanity has ever seen. And certainly our generations. Uh, but I think humanity as a whole. I think this is our opportunity to really take a, take a step and solve a number of problems. Address critical innovations many different areas of our lives so it's going to be exciting to see where it all comes fortunately it's going to come at a huge human cost we should not forget that and another thing that we should not forget is actually the impact it has on so many other um, areas of our lives that we you know may not realize as easily for example um, the commitment to reducing plastic waste right like in California for example there was a bill banning plastic bags or something like that um, from being sold uh, or from being given away to customers I mean, not not probably banned but like there's like a price tag to be paid on that and reusable bags and all that stuff. During COVID-19, bottom line, they kind of rolled that back because they were like, we cannot allow people to use reusable bags now because COVID, you know, coronavirus can stay on the surfaces. We don't want to transmit the virus like that. Actually, you know, I agree with that. That makes perfect sense. But rolling back some of our commitments on addressing climate change or our commitments to everybody who gets sick for so many different reasons, not just coronavirus. That's the more acute problems that we are creating now, or people who have mental issues as a result of this pandemic, right? All those things that we are putting on the other side of the scale of everything that this coronavirus will bring in the world um, I guess the good stuff the innovation part of it all is gonna come at a huge price for humanity too and um, as with any big big change this is uh, this is a toll that it's going to take and we have to be very careful in terms of assessing what kind of choices we make now in terms of 
who do we help how do we help them and how do we make sure that we're not uh, just going all in and pretending that everything that we do now or we don't do now doesn't have an effect on um, the people that that we should really be focusing on or on some of the issues that are still at play so these are just the, some of the thoughts that I have on coronavirus pandemic um, and uh, I'm glad I had recorded this I think it's a very interesting opportunity for me to at least reflect on some of the things that I have been thinking about for the last well definitely over 100 days so I look forward to bringing you more nighttime monologues um, going forward I hope you like this episode um, look up my youtube channel where i do podcasts with uh, guests in biomedical industry uh, and i break down some of the news and i do some other fun stuff so it's uh, at youtube.com slash p-a-r-y-z-h-o-v and uh, thank you very much for listening have a good night